Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, your host, Director of Communications and Media with ABWE. I am joined by my good friend, also co-author of Missions by the Book, Chad Vegas of Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California. How are you today, good sir? I'm doing well, thanks Alex, I'm glad to be here with you. Also founding board member, if I have that correct, title, founding board member of Radius International here, which we are coming to you from the Radius Conference 2023 in Sun Valley, California here. And by the way, an incredibly exciting conference. The energy here is great. Lots of excitement and uh, just feels really smooth. It feels like everything's locking into place. It feels like you guys get better and better at pulling this off each year. So congratulations to your team so far. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think the team is doing a really good job. I also would commend Grace Community Church and how how good they are at conferences and accommodating. Yeah, they've us done a couple of conferences here. Yeah, they have, and yeah. they're really quite good at it. So it's been, it's been, it's gone really well so far. Yeah, excellent. Well, we're excited for it. Well, the theme of this year's conference is the clear gospel. Yep. So you're on the board. So tell me what burdened you guys that that made that the theme. Well, I think you know we've talked a lot about method, and we get into that some in our book, some of the methodological stuff. We also get into the message stuff in our yeah. book, though. And one of the things we've talked about for some time in, in missions is we can talk about clear communication or clear proclamation, and we've had these proclamation discussions before. So not to revisit those, but right. if we're saying, in order to proclaim the gospel clearly, I've got to know the language and the culture in which I'm proclaiming it so I can speak with clarity, so I know what they're hearing when I speak. So we talk about that a lot. What we don't talk about enough is that if I don't have the message right, the gospel message that is being proclaimed, then I also lack clarity. I mean, yeah. I can be an unclear communicator of the gospel in my own language and culture yeah. because I don't know the message. And so we need to get that right. Yeah, we do. And what are you seeing right now, though, in the missions <laughs> world where maybe that's not happening as much? Because I think you and I have both spent time in circles where people would say, you know, marry the mission, date the model, right? Like we hold on to the message, it's the methodology though that's more flexible, but there are some methods and there are some approaches to contextualization that you would say call into question the message itself. Well, yeah, I think um, a lot of the spine, if you will, of what happens with DMM is based on this notion of obedience-based discipleship, which is um, has a misunderstanding fundamentally of conversion, right. how the spirit works in that. So I would say that's actually a method that's piggybacking on a, a method that's a problem, a method that's piggybacking on a message that's a problem. A message that's a problem, right. And I Re think- Reducing discipleship to obedience only, not taking into account the nature of regeneration. In fairness, they wouldn't say they do that. Right. But they're basically telling you that's how you form a church. It's how you bring disciples along, which tells you something about their view of the message, if it is in fact good news that comes from outside of me that's being proclaimed to me um, and not good advice that I'm being told to perform, right. then, then the method actually shifts because now it has to be proclaimed from outside of me and, and then received by me. And so I think, I think that method does tweak the message, maybe not intentionally, but it does. Um, I think what we're doing with the honor-shame discussion, some of the stuff with 3D gospel that J Jason George has put out, or, or the honor-shame stuff we see from Jackson, formerly Jackson Moo, I guess now Brad Vaughn, uh, as far as pen name, 
I, uh, some of what he's putting out, it is affecting the message. I mean, he, I, and I know you'll have Aubrey on here, and so we won't get too deep into the, into the sort of weeds on this, but Jackson Wu or Brad Vaughn will say he endorses penal substitutionary atonement, but then he redefines it such that, you know, I, um, to quote Inigo Montoya, want to say, <laughs> you use that word. <laughs> I'm sure it means what you think it means. And we had Brad on uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah. in fact. Yeah. And I listened to both those. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and we've talked about those episodes, because we, we do, we, we go deep into that, and, and he'll say certain things that sound true about penal substitutionary atonement, it, it seems like maybe there's a, a concern of, of not just saying, hey, here's some other aspects of the atonement. The atonement is a multifaceted, sure. glorious thing, just like, just like all true doctrine, right, is that sure. you can't exhaust it. You've got to plummet steps, and there's so many different layers of truth there. Uh, it sounds like there's a shifting from that to also saying, no, it's, it's not this, it is this. Right, right, and I think, or if you pick up on that, that's an emphasis and not the core of what it is, right? So if you pick up on penal substitution, well, that's an emphasis in a guilt-based Western culture. Um, so it's effective missiologically with guilt-ridden Western people, but it's not uh, the gospel. And I want to say, well, that little twist actually makes a world of difference. And so I know that Aubrey's going to get into that more, but yeah. we can press into how this comes out in, in a variety of things that are happening. In, in missions methods, but what we need to overcome is this idea that method is neutral, it's just complete neutrality, and it doesn't tell you anything about what you believe. In fact, what I believe I ought to do as a missionary tells me what I believe about God, what I believe about man, what I believe about what the gospel is, and frankly, what I believe about the work of the Holy Spirit. It tells me about that. Guys, I, I believe the Holy Spirit works in particular ways, through particular means. Well, that's a doctrinal basis that I'm now forming a method off of. Yeah. So, you know, in my circles and your circles, we're gonna talk about the ordinary means of grace. And we mean by that, how does God's Spirit ordinarily work um, to bring grace to people, to, to transform them so they know Christ? Well we start using that terminology, we're now saying the, the Holy Spirit works a particular way. So we're talking about the work of the Spirit. Um, well, that, that's doctrine. That's directly impacting method. Yeah, and to make something explicit that I think I hear you saying as well, if there's a doctrine that you hold that you're willing to trade off on for the sake of your contextualization, you don't really believe it, right? If there's something that's only true in your home church, but then when you go through your training with your sending agency or you land in another culture and you say, okay, well, I'm willing to compromise on 30% of the things that I've taught and that I've held, you don't really hold that 30% that you're letting go. Well, and I think when we get into the issue of contextualization and missiology, we really are pushing into some pretty profound doctrinal issues. Because if I go into a cultural context and I say, what are the questions the people in this culture are asking? And my job as a missionary now is to answer their questions using the Bible. If their questions are the wrong questions to be asking. How can my crops be blessed this year? Yeah, how can my crops be blessed this year? How do I deal with the territorial spirits, you know, over, over this garden area? How do I, like, they might be asking the wrong questions because they're fallen in sin. Sure. Their minds and hearts are corrupted. 
So maybe their questions are bad questions and we have to teach them the right questions to ask, not just provide them the right answers. If they don't know about legal guilt, that they have legal guilt before God, then that's a corruption in their culture that we need to address and teach them why they need to know about that and how God resolves that in sending his son who offers himself as a penal substitutionary atonement. We need to help them get there. The reason I say that is, think about 1 Corinthians. One of the things Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he talks about um, the gospel being foolishness to the world, he says, well, you know, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ and Him crucified. That's an interesting statement because he just told you this cultural context, they want signs. This cultural context, they want wisdom. We don't give that to either of them. We <laughs> preach Christ and Him crucified. He's not meeting their felt needs. He's not meeting their felt needs. He's not asking the primary cultural question they have. In fact, he's saying that's why they think our message is foolishness. Because mm. we're not giving them the thing they're demanding. We're telling them what they actually need. Mm. And, and so I think we need to understand that as we come at this. Mm. So briefly, give us a rundown of what you're uh, talking about. You're talking about those same themes in your talk here. I am. So my goal is to deal with the necessity of penal substitutionary atonement to uh, missions. And, and really, um, to kind of subhead that, that, I want to talk about Christ's priestly action in the offering of himself as a penal substitute. And then the church's mission being informed by that in that we make a priestly offering um, of ourselves. Romans 12:1, and of the people to whom we've proclaimed the gospel and whom the Holy Spirit is consecrated, gathered, set apart as a church, we offer them, Romans 15, 16. And so I wanna come after this notion that's because of the priestly action of Christ, it's due to his humiliation that he's exalted. Now I'm gonna have to, of course, try to spend a little bit, not a lot of time, making a distinction between the essential glory of the Son of God. He doesn't need to be the priest in order to be exalted. He doesn't be humiliated to be in order to be exalted. But as the God-man, as our mediator, he is sent in his office, uh, his threefold mediatorial office, to first be humiliated and to be humiliated in the priestly offering of himself before he's exalted as the king. And I think that's gonna be exciting to explore with a missions crowd like this. You know, missionaries are priests. Yeah. I don't think very many missionaries are thinking of themselves consciously in that way, but you get that in First Peter, you yeah. get that all throughout, you get that in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul himself, the, the priestly offering of the Gentiles, the nations to God. Uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, we were talking about this yeah. before we started recording, that, that Paul's lifeblood is a libation, a drink offering being poured out on the offering of his converts' faith in Philippi. Yeah, he uh, says that in 2 Timothy 4 as well, and I think... Alex, because you're driving at this, and, and it's important, 1 Peter 2.9, we're a royal priesthood. Now notice what the work is, the priestly work. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the priestly work we do, right? The priestly work isn't that we go and become a mediator for people. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so we want to distinguish our priestly action. Right. It isn't in any way, in that sense, the same as his in the offering of himself. 
but but we do, if you will, uh, if you will, um, take the job of proclaiming that, uh, and that it's been given to us, that we continue the work of Christ in the Acts one one sense. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, book of Luke, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right, and he still does. And now, how is he doing teaching? by the power of his spirit through his church as we proclaim him. Yeah, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and we all have a royal calling, a priestly calling, a prophetic yeah. calling as gospel ministers, whether we're sent, right, in, in an Acts 13 sense as right. missionaries uh, with that office, with that title, or whether we're regular believers, lay yeah. persons committed to the work of mission ourselves in some sort of a supporting capacity. So Absolutely. we're excited to hear your talk a little bit later. Thanks, and of course, you can get some more content from the show uh, and from Radius International by going to radiusinternational.org and be following us as we're continuing to put out interviews, exclusives with guests from the show here from the conference. We're so excited for Radius having the conference and we're grateful to be a part of it. And we're grateful to Grace Community Church as well for being a host. And so thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for more content from Radius. To get more content from us, go to missionspodcast.com. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. Thanks, we'll see you again soon.